Our Bible passages from Second Chronicles 15, 1 to 8. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Odid. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. When Asset heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Odid, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Uh, I hope you had a nice uh, Thanksgiving. Um, Actually, uh, I also wanted to read uh, verse 9 of our passage. So let me um, do that. Um, I don't think we're going to project it. So um, let me add that. uh, Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. Um, As uh, most of you know, we started a new sermon series last Sunday based on the life of King Asa, as uh, recorded in chapters 14 to 16 in the book of 2 Chronicles. Uh, The focus uh, theme is uh, reliance upon God. Um, Once again, I wanted to have us uh, just review the message divisions that I uh, outlined. So last uh, Sunday, we looked at chapter 14, and we looked at how Isa relied on God, despite the data, right? Whether good or bad, um, Isa subordinated that information to his faith in God. He puts God, he put God. Uh, God's purpose first, even though it's probably prudent to proceed on a plan or make decisions best on best best available information and numbers, uh, we can admire Asa's uh, faith in in God. Today is reliance on conviction, the first half of chapter 15. And then next week, uh, we're looking at the latter half of chapter 15 and then finishing up with chapter 16. Um, In uh, today's text, Asa hears from the Lord uh, through the prophet Azariah. Uh, Azariah has both a general message for all the people and then a specific message uh, for the king. So I want to organize the sermon on a cluster of ideas that comes out uh, from the word conviction, right? Conviction, which, which of course has several definitions. Um, So my title, Reliance on Conviction, uh, is an attempt to uh, accentuate um, Asa's dependence on the Lord uh, via these various meanings 
So here are the types of conviction that I would like to cover today. Um, first, conviction of guilt. Um, the people, uh, they were kind of um, cornered by God. They were, um, God spoke his uh, displeasure at how they were uh, turning away from him and turning towards idols. Uh, and then talk about conviction of purpose, right? So when we say that I'm convicted that I have to do this, I'm certain I have this strong belief. Right? We'll talk about Asa's reform. And then uh, finish with conviction by God's word. Asa heard uh, God's message to him and uh, he responded uh, accordingly. Right? So uh, conviction of guilt, conviction of purpose, and conviction by God's word. Okay, the, of course, the first one, uh, first type of conviction is what we're familiar with when in a criminal court of law. Uh, when a defendant is found and declared guilty of the crimes and offenses alleged against him or her, then we say that the defendant was convicted of so-and-so crime. Uh, in other words, uh, it has been shown or proven by the prosecutor that the defendant committed the wrongdoings uh, she's been accused of. Customarily, a conviction, uh, a guilty verdict, is followed by a sentencing phase. Now, <clears throat> there's no legal setting uh, here in this chapter, right? But what verses uh, three through six speak about, I thought was kind of akin to an allegation or a conviction. Yeah, the people were deemed guilty of forsaking God and pursuing the idols of the pagan nations surrounding them. As a result, right, uh, they experienced a withdrawal of blessing and protection by God, along with um, kind of ensuing turmoil and adver adversity in their own country and uh, pretty much in the known area, uh, there was this conflict was abounding. So like I said, the Israelites were kind of cornered uh, by God because of their rebellion and waywardness. Uh, because of everything that was happening around them, um, they lost confidence uh, in themselves because God was um, troubling them with every kind of uh, distress, as it says in verse six. Uh, now, sometimes the Lord uh, uses hardship or even suffering in order for us to see that we need to rely on him. When we are at our own uh, full strength or are wrapped up in uh, our pursuit of success and our desires, we tend to ignore God. Most people do that. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, famously wrote, uh, pain is God's megaphone to a morally deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to a morally deaf world. Many of us would not uh, even think of God or turn to him if we did not encounter adversity or failure Right, in some form. If we don't sense a need for God, few of us uh, would ever uh, turn to him. Uh, now, especially 
uh, when our adversity arises out of our own sinful actions and choices, um, I think we can experience this kind of conviction rather keenly. Right? The verse that you see there is from uh, Genesis 42. It's the story of Joseph and his brothers. Right? If you remember, Joseph was a favorite son of 12 boys of, that were born to Jacob. And they were jealous, right? The 10 older brothers were jealous of Joseph. And so they conspired to first kill him. And then they decide to sell him into slavery, right? They throw him into this abandoned well. And then um, they actually like feast on the food that he brought them. <laughs> he brings the food and then they tie him up and throw him into a well. And then they concoct this plan to send him, sell him down the river, send him down to Egypt. They make some money off of their brother. Well, you know the story right, of how Joseph rises after much suffering to the, one of the uh, prime leadership spots in the Pharaohic dynasty of Egypt. And when the famine hits, the brothers come asking to buy food. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And so he leads them into a time of repentance. He is harsh with them so that they will be convicted right, of, their, of their sin. And uh, as they're going through this, the brothers uh, experience what is written. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Right? They were already guilty. They were already burdened and laden with what they had done to their brother. Right? They had sold him off to whatever would, would happen. Uh, they felt they had lied to their father, saying that he had been devoured by a wild animal, right? torn up and eaten by a wild animal. And when they're experiencing this, right, they attribute right, their hardship, their distress to God. God making them realize, reminding them, not letting them escape um, their unrepentance, their unrepented hearts. Right? So this conviction of guilt uh, comes upon them. I'm not sure uh, if you're thinking that uh, COVID-19 is God's 2020 megaphone. Um, I think it's fair to say, uh, to, to say it is. Um, but I, for one, cannot begin to fathom God's uh, purposes, specific purposes beyond, behind this global pandemic. I think it definitely can draw a, a, our attention uh, to God, right? Actually, would be skeptical of anyone who says that they can confidently pinpoint the purpose with uh, precision. But these kind of large-scale events, or in this case, a global pandemic, can be uh, an avenue, an opportunity for each and every person to uh, turn to God, to think about their lives, think about what they've done, think about where they're, what, where they are, think about where they're going. I think if we do not consider God at all, 
right? See how he might be trying to get our attention. This would be a missed opportunity. Uh, has this distress, has 2020 prompted us to turn to the Lord and seek him more? In what ways have you sought him more? Have I sought him more? Uh, maybe there's guilt or culpabil culpability unaddressed uh, in our lives. Uh, maybe there's something that uh, this could be a helpful reminder um, to convict us of something that God wants us to see. God wants us uh, to change. You know, God sends the prophet uh, Azariah to address Asa with words of challenge and encouragement. Um, although his speech is contained in a, like a single quotation from verse uh, two, uh, 2b, little, uh, the second half of 2 until verse 7, it actually appears that the author of Second Chronicles included more of a narratival gloss in verses 3 through 6. It's an articulation of a principle. There's a refrain of sorts found in 3 to 4 and then again in verse 9b. That's why I wanted to read 9. And these are uh, identical descriptions of what the situation was before Asa began his program of reform. Israel was in the spiritual dumps. Uh, they had for a long time turned their, her back on, their, their backs on God. Um, this kind of spiritual desiccation, this dryness, is explained in verse 3. The people lacked a true relationship with God. They had no priest to teach them, and they didn't know the law or have the law to learn and follow. Right? These are the consequences of forsaking God. And God, in turn, right, he withdraws his help. Uh, but it's actually an, an act of kind of strange grace, right, so to speak, uh, by not permitting them to have any peace or rest, right? It wasn't even safe to travel, travel about in those days. People from one nation were attacking another. People from one city, the Democratic cities were attacking those from the Republican city, right? Yeah, this is all too modern in the description, I think, of where uh, we are in. Right? This hardship precipitated the people to turn to the Lord and to seek him. And as Azariah tells them, right, God responded. Right? Through what Asa was doing, uh, this helped the people seek God, and God in turn was uh, found uh, by them. You know, conviction of guilt is not a pleasant experience, right? It can uh, obsess our minds. It can physically kind of uh, drain us. Uh, it can make life very unpleasant. But if there is repentance, if there is turning back to God, if there is a change, if we depend, if we rely on God because of said conviction, right, then uh, there can be peace, there can be rest, there can be recovery, there can be hope. Let me move on to the sec second type of conviction to talk about. And that relates to the um, activistic efforts uh, that Asa applied to rid the land of idolatry. Right? 
Asa was uh, convicted. Uh, I'm using the word uh, conviction as a strongly held belief. Right? He was convinced, he was convicted that this was the thing that he had to do. This was the right thing to do. God wanted him to eradicate uh, the, uh, the idols of the land. As a king, as a leader of God's people, that was his number one uh, charge, number one uh, responsibility, right? To make sure that there was no access to the pagan idols that were dominating uh, Israel, that were keeping people uh, from God. We talked about that a lot last week, right? Um, this was certainly not an easy thing to do. Um, the popular sentiment mentioned last time was uh, in favor of retaining these idolatrous places and practices. So Asa had to diligently pursue uh, their removal, right? And not only was the public opinion against him, but after these were located, it requ required a kind of a, a physical dismantling and destruction of these shrines and altars. And that must have been a, an arduous task. And we're not talking about just about a few places scattered in the land. This was a pervasive and prevalent problem. Right? So this, this is important that Asa, deep in his heart, he was convicted that this was his calling to engage in a purification of the land. Right? As king, there's many things you could do, international relations, economic prosperity, right? So those are important, right? Even kind of, you know, building up his legacy. Uh, you, you can imagine all the things that a, a king would want. But for Asa, he was convicted that spiritual purity had to come first, right? And this might've meant that he rejected the council of, of advisors or that, um, you know, people were not, appreciative of him. He could have been misunderstood. And people might have thought he was needlessly rocking the boat or causing problems. You know, some, some people with these kind of convictions, they have to stand alone, right? They have to depend on this conviction, right? And, and I think that's what Asa does, right? Because he, this conviction was a lonely one, um, he was able to depend on God. This kind of conviction required this deep trust in what God wanted him uh, to do. Right? People with this kind of convictions can actually bring about great transformation and change um, if they hold to what they really uh, believe. Now, a caveat. Uh, conviction and stubbornness yeah, can look somewhat similar. <laughs> Right? Some people say, I'm convicted, but they're just stubborn. Right? So how do we distinguish uh, the two? Um, I don't have an easy answer uh, for that. Right? Um, I think it's important to make a distinction, though, because stubbornness can lead to uh, like broken relationships. Right? It could lead to divisiveness, even uh, separation. Right? Um, I think if a conviction is really from the Lord, uh, it, it has to eventually be shown as true or accurate or right. But just because you think, you know, I am certain of this, right? You could be certainly wrong, 
I could be certainly wrong about something I feel certain about. And I always use the example of, of Apostle Paul, right? He thought that he had to kind of destroy the Christian faith. He had to persecute Christians. He was sure of that. He went all out in, in doing that. But it was demonstrated that he was just being stubborn, erroneous, sinful even. Right? But, you know, when God uh, redirected him, when God changed him, his conviction became you know, transformative of the entire known uh, Roman world at that time yeah, I mean, people that are stubborn you, you, sometimes you don't see vindication you don't see um their their, their truth um coming uh, coming to fruition uh, unfortunately yeah so uh, let's talk about or let's stay in the realm of those whose convictions are really from the lord correct convictions proper uh, convictions. Yeah, when such a person stands against the tide of perhaps everyone, um, even though it's difficult, it really can bring about the kinds of change, not only for a, 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 a decision or a situation, but it can change a culture. It can change an era, uh, a period of time. So a famous example mentioned uh, no, numerous times is, um, of course, the, the reformers, the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. Over 500 years ago, in the year 1517, Martin Luther, a monk and a professor of theology, submitted uh, to the Archbishop of Mainz and then nailed his 95 thesis against the church's practice of selling indulgences uh, to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg. Uh, this brought swift opposition and persecution by the religious, by his religious superiors and the public at large. Uh, Luther was confronted and challenged many times for his conviction that these practices were unbiblical. And then in 1521, uh, Luther was called before the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, at the Diet of Worms, right? Diet of Worms. Diet is not how we understand it, right? Not a weight loss plan, but a formal meeting, meeting, formal meeting. And uh, Worms was a city uh, uh, south of Frankfurt at the time. So after a trial and all this kind of stuff, when he's uh, debate, when he's directed to recant, to deny what he had written and said. Uh, Luther's unequivocal response is what you see um, on the screen. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Uh, amen. You may have heard the attribution, here I stand, I can do no other. And um, that's not as uh, certain that he said that. Some say it's kind of a legendary uh, thing that, that's been said, but it's still, you can see the conviction there, right? You can see not only uh, about the word of God, but his conscience, right? Even if it means his death, even if it means 
excommunication. Actually, this led to his excommunication, right, from the church. But his steadfastness brought an unimaginable transformation to the landscape and shape of the Christian faith from that point onwards. Even until now, we are beneficiaries of, of the Reformation doctrines. Uh, what kind of convictions, right, strongly held beliefs, if any, have you stood by, have I stood by? Uh, what have you been willing uh, to be misunderstood for? Maybe to stand alone in isolation. Uh, when have your convictions ever compelled you to rely purely on God for strength uh, and courage? In our day, uh, political polarization, uh, racial injustice, moral compromise, these are um, challenges, right? Uh, these are contexts in which our convictions, if we have any, can cause us to go through some hard times or it, it may cause us to kind of refine or delineate what those convictions are or uh, should be. Right? I think um, uh, a common experience of, let's say, genuine convictions is some sort of loss, right? Um, this could be, for example, like um, economic loss. Um, I, I know a couple of people that because of their faith, they either had to resign from a job or they had to forego taking a job because they had a conviction that they, this didn't, this was not appropriate, not an appropriate line of work for them. Um, it could be a relational loss. And again, this is where it gets kind of tricky, where stubbornness kind of, you know, mixes in. But sometimes uh, a certain conviction has led to maybe a, a happy connection or friendship or relationship going down because the conviction was strong, was real. Right? Sometimes it's led I've, to people who've had to maybe end a, like a romantic relationship, a dating uh, relationship because of that. Now, there could be a loss of various kinds of benefits, right? Where uh, something that you experience, whether it's support or whether it's encouragement, whether it's just something you enjoy doing with your life, uh, <laughs> a deeply held conviction can mess that all up. But that's what that means, right? If we really are convicted the loss that we experience as something that we is, is acceptable uh, to us. To compromise the conviction, to lose that conviction is a worse fate. It's something that we would um, not want to experience, right? Um, and, and I think such losses can help us depend on God more, right? Um, it can really help us understand uh, why faith has to be foundational, why it is uh, 
why we have to grow in our faith, strengthen our faith, right? live by faith, as you know, uh, a passage from Habakkuk uh, showed us. Okay, the last uh, third type of conviction that I'd like to share about is kind of related to the one we just talked about. This uh, conviction is uh, comes from uh, a belief or, or a confidence and acceptance of the truth and power um, of God's word. Um, uh, now, verse seven is actually, um, it gets kind of, Azariah's words gets more specific towards Asa, right? So through Azariah, God says, but as for you, be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. Right? This encouragement was directed at Asa so that he would uh, be able to continue in his God-centered dependence. Right? Uh, Asa had got, gone out on a limb. He had risked right, his kingship uh, to do what he thought God wanted him to do, uh, remove uh, the idols. Right? And so when God tells him this, um, Asa's the, the veracity, right? the, the, the impact, the effectiveness. You know, Asa really believes that he, God is with him, so he has to be strong and uh, should not uh, give up. And so he continues. He actually expands the program. He does more uh, in this vein and um, experiences what God said to be uh, true and faithful. So uh, the words have their desired effect for in verse eight tells us that Asa heard these words of prophecy and uh, took courage. Yeah. You know, in our, uh, when we are convicted by the power of God's word, and when we believe what God is saying to be true and efficacious, right, uh, we can take courage. That's what encourage means to me. It's not just feeling like, oh, I feel good, I feel better, I feel, I don't, I don't feel so bad anymore. No, it's actually to grow in courage and conviction to continue what you are doing uh, for the Lord or not doing, right? Uh, if the Lord does, doesn't want you uh, uh, to do it. Yeah. And God's word should have this kind of power um, in us, right? When, God's when God speaks, God's people should be convicted by uh, the words, right? by, the, by the spirit, by the sentiments behind those words. It's the heart behind what God tells us. Now, often conviction in the Bible uh, has to do with um, being convinced of error or sinfulness. And there's many places, you know, for example, the Joseph's brothers, that's, you know, we'd say when God spoke through Joseph, they're convicted of God's word, but it's not limited to that. Right? I think God's word is, um, can have many different functions uh, for us, but it should all hold a very, um, very effective and, and active place uh, when we uh, hear it or read about it. And God's word is not a suggestion. Right? It's not kind of one of many options. It's supposed to be governing. It's a command. It's an imperative, right? as Ed talked about. Right? God commands us to be thankful. Not feel thankful, not when it comes around, emotional thankful. It's, you know, it's, 
obedient gratitude. God's word is special. It's not supposed to be intended to go in one ear and out the other. It's not supposed to fall by the wayside or kind of just be ignored. If you recall the parable of the four soils, um, God's, uh, the seed of God's word, it falls upon or it falls upon various ears and hearts, different kinds of soil um, that it either um, is unable to or unwilling to receive it properly. It's only the fourth soil, the good soil, that's uh, willing to hear and apply. It's worthy of receiving the word properly and then bearing the right kind of response or fruit that is consistent or commensurate with the value, the truly amazing value of God's word. Yeah. Just an example that came to mind biblically of people who properly responded to the expression or transmission of God's word is, um, you know, the day of Pentecost, right? When the Holy Spirit comes, Peter and the apostles are uh, filled with uh, the spirit and, and Peter begins to preach a message about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it says that the hearers, the, the people who listen to his message, uh, his Pentecost sermon, they were cut to the heart. And they were pierced. The word was not just something, what Peter said was not just something kind of intellectual, something cognitive, but it had this kind of like great ramification. It, it, it almost felt physically that God's word penetrated um, into uh, their, their hearts. Like this was a saying that they were, this is a way of saying that they were convicted by its veracity and were willing to, so, to submit to what the word uh, says. Yeah. And so they respond. They ask Peter, what must we do to be saved? You know, Peter's message so overturned their status quo. It so challenged them. It so cut into them. They knew they had to do something uh, in response. They were convicted by uh, the word of God. And I hope that as we read it, as we hear it, as we meditate on God's word, it can have that kind of impact. Right? It can have that kind of transformative effect upon us. I was just trying to think about my own journey, right? Uh, having interacted with the word of God a lot, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it doesn't impact me more, that it doesn't hit me, it doesn't touch me, it doesn't change me as often, I think, as it should or as um, I would like. But I remember one instance where um, I was reading an article, it was Time Magazine, and it was a story about how um, this one teenager killed another teenager to take his Nike Air Jordans. And, um, you know, that was talking about not only the tragedy of this, but also whether he should be um, prosecuted as an adult or a minor. Like, it's just a heartbreaking story. 
of, of, of all of the ills of materialism, of, of uh, you know, say gun violence, of, of societal problems and all that. And as I was just emotionally moved by that story, I, I thought of a verse and I don't know where it came from. And it's just kind of, it's an unfortunate verse <laughs> if I look back on it. It was John 12, 24, right? Unless a kernel of a wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And I'd memorized that for some occasion and it came flooding to me and you know, just like it took that emotional response and it kind of like, like put something, like somebody drove something deep into me, into my person, right? And it was, it was like a challenge. Like if you're bothered by this, if this is something that uh, touches you or breaks you, then this is how you should live your life as a sacrifice, right? As a, a buried seed. Um, as someone who gives up things so that more seeds can be produced. Right? Yeah, and, and I remember like that taking me into a lot of different kind of like, okay, this is what I should do and this is what I should not do. And these are the choices and these are the things, you know, it kind of like ordered my priorities and my values and my life in, in, in ways that I, that I hadn't had up to uh, that time, right? Yeah, like I said, it was a, <laughs> a disturbing verse um, and it's not been easy to do that, but I still, you know, hold it in my memory and I want to remind myself more and more of it. Yeah, so Asa, uh, he's encouraged, he's challenged and encouraged by what God says to him and what does he do? He redoubles his efforts, right, to continue the uh, reform of idolatry and then he actually rebuilds the altar, it says that he, he kind of... Um, uh, uh, at the Lord's temple. And then he calls the people together, right? That's the last part of our passage. Not only the people of Judah and Benjamin, right? Which were loyal to, historically loyal to um, the Southern kingdom. King David was from Judah, right? And Asa was a descendant of David, but from other tribes, from the Northern kingdom, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, these people see uh, Asa's faith. They see his reliance, dependence upon God, and then they, they rally to him, right? They leave their country uh, uh, because they see his dependence upon God. In other words, Asa's conviction, his convicted reliance on God is contagious, right? It's, it's effective not only for himself and in his administration, but also to other people. That's something that I think we should emulate we should be blessed by. Let's pray. Um, let's think about conviction. Uh, is there guilt? Is there some offense, some sin that God's pressing on you today? Is there uh, a, a belief or a hope that you have, you should be convicted, have a conviction for, but you're struggling with it? Um, is God's word have this kind of impact on you? Why or why not? Let's spend some time in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us the faculty uh, of our, our minds and hearts to be convinced, to be convicted, to hold um, beliefs and uh, promises um, uh, dear to our hearts uh, in our world that um, sometimes is uh, overly opinionated, but at other times no one has any convictions at all. We find Asa's uh, trust in you uh, refreshing. Lord, we need wisdom. Uh, we need to be able to be led by your word. Uh, so please bring us uh, through that process. Uh, if there's repentance to be had, let us repent. Uh, if there's commitments to be made, let us commit. If there is good soil to be cultivated so that your word can be implanted deeper and deeper, Please do that so that uh, through these convictions, we can draw closer to you. We can rely on you evermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.